Great, you may be seated. Hey, great to have you here. We're in part two of our series 10, and we're looking at the 10 biblical chapters that will literally change your life. Um, We're looking at the 10 chapters of the Bible that you need to wrestle through. If you want to understand Christianity, if you want to understand the worldview that Christianity holds, if you want to wrestle with the reality of the world that you're living in, these are the 10 chapters that are going to help you do that, help you focus and help you understand that. And I want to begin with a bit of a quiz this morning, okay? So I I know you, you weren't expecting to be tested first thing, okay? But humanity, scientists actually accomplished a real milestone last month, and actually, uh, you know, uh, arguably even into this month as well. But the milestone is, is really quite significant. In fact, I'm really surprised it didn't get more fanfare than it did. But it's never happened in the history of humanity. And it's something that um, was started in 1977. Um, it's it's the, one of the biggest scientific um, uh, things to celebrate as a humanity. And it happened, it, it started in 1977. The technology of this particular uh, thing that we're talking about this morning still uses 8-track tape. How many of you remember 8-track tape? Wow, yeah, yeah. The iPhone in your pocket is one 240,000th more powerful and more memory than this device, okay? So more computing power in, in your iPad or your iPhone than this thing ever had. So does anybody know what I'm talking about this morning? Voyager 1, yeah, Voyager Probe. You want to put it up on the screen here? Yeah, this thing was launched in 1977, the same year Star Wars was released, But 1977, 36 years. In fact, when NASA launched this probe, they they launched it as a four-year program to go to Saturn. And what NASA said at the time, that whatever happens beyond that was going to be gravy. Scientists never imagined that 36 years later, this device, still using 8-track tape, your iPhone's more powerful would, would, would have taken 36 years to get out of our solar system, out of our galaxy. It's taken this thing 36 years to get out of our neighborhood, going, what is it, six, 17 kilometers a second, traveling out in outer space. In fact, the Voyager probe has this, uh, if I could have the next screen up, Voyager probe has this gold disc on it. It's essentially a record. So I don't know if any alien race out there has record players, but, or, 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 you know, kind of a, a disc, but it has a baby crying, it has the pres- a president's message on it, it has hello in a number of different languages, it has whale song on it, it has all kinds of of things that if it ever comes across aliens, they will know where to find us. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? You know, if you were here, if you're, you know, I, I, I brought that up because if you were here last week, we talked about the grandeur of creation. And I was just awestruck that here is this device that we launched in 19. 19- 77, and our universe, our galaxy is so expansive 
It took this device 36 years just to get out of the neighborhood. And now it's in these. In fact, scientists believe that this thing will die. The energy on this thing will die in the year 2025. And so who knows what it's going to be recording and sending back to us. So I thought I would just start this morning with something that just crystallized in our minds, this amazing God that we have that would speak the universe, the galaxies, the stars into existence. And last week we learned, in spite of all that, the wonder of this um, amazing God that would just speak creation into existence. He engineered that universe. He engineered this planet that we live on for us. That we became the pinnacle of God's creative act, this pinnacle of being specifically engineered so that we would have this relationship with God. And there's two components to this relationship that I want to show you as we dive into the passage that we're going to dive into this morning. It's a relationship of accountability because we are made in God's image. It's a relationship of accountability because we're accountable to God. God is the creator. God is the king. Uh, all the Old Testament prophets would, 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 would frame all their understanding of God under this, uh, you know, under this thing of accountability. That God is the creator. That God is the king. And because he is the creator, because, because he's done this special thing with us here, we are accountable to God. And second part of that relationship is that we're responsible to God. We are responsible. I think I've got it on the PowerPoint here, those two points, that we are accountable to God and we are responsible to God because we're specifically engineered to have this, this, this relationship with God. And the responsibility is because God's entrusted to us the creation. It's something that we, we struggle with. Okay, This whole creation, we are co-regents with God. We are ambassadors with God on this planet. They're accountable to him for who we are. We're responsible to him for what he's entrusted to us. And that's, a, that's an important part of the creation story. That we're not just here um, on our own to just enjoy life on our own. That it's done with an accountability and a responsibility to God. So God has placed this here as a pinnacle, as, a, as, as, as something purposeful in creation. Okay? So it's not just a haphazard thing. It's something that God desired to build into his creation. This intimate relationship with the people that he created. It's a very important part of the creation puzzle. Okay? So something I want to really get... Um, but today we're looking at, at uh, a turnkey passage, a turnkey chapter. Um, as beautiful as creation is, God takes the man, God takes the woman, takes the couple that he created, who he created equal, by the way, okay, as a helpmate for each other, uh, created with equal status in God's eyes, placed them in a paradise, placed them in this beautiful place that they had everything they could possibly want, and it's this relationship with God. And the text tells us that they walked intimately, uh, you know, personally with God through the garden. 
It's a beautiful picture of how God intended the creation to be. And, it's, and it's, 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 it's a wonderful relational thing. And God only made one demand of this couple. He only made one demand. Have you ever heard, have you ever heard anybody say, have you ever asked somebody, to, um, can you do this for me? And they say, oh, yeah, on one condition. Right? And, 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 and you've tried to figure out, yeah, I can do it based on that condition, or I can do it based on that demand. I'm okay to do that. God made one condition to the couple. He said, this garden, this paradise that I've, that I've created for you, it's all yours. I only ask you to do one thing. Here's the one condition I'm giving you. Do not eat from the tree of good and evil. Okay, that is the only, only condition that God placed in the whole thing. Um, So before the Ten Commandments, before the law, before everything that we think of as as restrictive or, or the things that God imposed on the nation of Israel, imposed on the people of God, he only made one condition to Adam and Eve. And it's like, don't eat from that tree. Now, we're going to get into chapter 3 of Genesis, which is typically known as the fall. And it's kind of a, it, it, it happened, um, I didn't plan this, but today is the first day of fall. You know, we're, we're, we're talking about the fall. And here's, here's, here's the deal with the fall. This is, of, of the 10 chapters that we're looking at, this actually um, generates what the Bible is all about. It generates the other nine chapters that we're going to look at. If you, can't, if you don't, can't wrestle through this passage, if this passage gives you difficulty, okay, I, it, that's totally understandable. But if you don't wrestle with this passage, you are going to always struggle with evil. You're going to always struggle, and I, I hate to say this, you're going to always struggle with reality, Okay, you know how you know was was it was it the Matrix movie that said this is this is life, but underneath there's this Matrix. This is what reality, you know, this is what it's really all about. It's kind of like the Matrix thing, right? If you think it's all sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows, okay, you're you're living in a kind of Matrix world. You're not living with reality, if I can say that. This passage is critical for understanding how the world really works. Okay. Something that we all struggle with. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why is there evil? Why, why does God allow these things? All these things that we blame God for. All these things that we point at God about. Now, if you're a Christian here this morning and you struggle with this, it's, that's, that's, a, that's a, another difficult place to be. Because the tendency may be in your life, for instance, that you just treat Jesus as your heavenly horseshoe. That's one of the things we have to be very, very careful about. Jesus is not your lucky charm. This passage is critical for, important, for understanding how the world really works. Okay? So it's a very, very difficult passage. We live in a world that wants to, wants to treat this passage as just a, 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 a metaphor for something or an allegory for something. And, and they'll say that these people didn't really exist. This, 
really didn't happen. It's, it's all of this kind of stuff. And yet the rest of the Bible is generated because of this particular passage. It is that critically important. And as Christians, we, we come to this passage recognizing that the world that we live in is really as dark as we, as we, as we say that it is. Okay? Now, that's the bad news. All right? Because even within this passage... Good news comes out of it that is the rest of history. There's something better coming, something redemptive out of it. All right, so many of us are familiar with this. We're going to start at, uh, I'm only, listen, I only have time to do the first 13 verses of this chapter. You're going to have to deal with that in life group. This is the critical part of the passage. And in in chapter 3, verse 1, we read this. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. And as many of you know, she adds to the prohibition of God. God only said, don't eat it. Never said anything about touching it. All right, do not touch it. And if you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful And its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her. Ah, how many of you saw that before? He was there the whole time, all right, who was with her. And he ate it too, um, which is a real problem because the direct command came from God to Adam. Okay? That's the problem. At that moment, their eyes were opened. Not that their eyes weren't opened already, but that's just figure of speech there. And they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Where do we begin? Accountability and responsibility. The two things that God has entrusted to Adam and Eve. It's a sense of accountability and a sense of responsibility. And I'm going to back up a little bit. How many of us, how many of us get so disappointed with people who do not take their responsibility seriously? Hey, hey, hey. Yeah. You know, um, isn't that a problem um, in our world? Be it in our families, be it in our relationships, be it at work. You know, we, we are not very happy when somebody just doesn't take their responsibility seriously and puts it on everybody else. This is a great lesson in the responsibility that Adam and Eve are not executing because of what God had given them. God gave mankind, God gave humankind a responsibility that they are shirking right now. It's interesting to me that the first thing, that uh, the first conversation about God is a conversation that doubts God. Satan comes in and tempts Eve and tempts her with Adam being right there. They both sin, and the minute minute that they sin, that they throw off their accountability and their responsibility to God. Now, 
Notice that the text says, she saw that the tree was beautiful, the fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. That is the kind of like the three-step process of what happens to temptation, all right? That, that, that's, that's a cycle that happens to everyone. And in fact, what's very interesting is that cycle, that, that, that process of seeing something, desiring that thing, and actually acting on what it is that you desire is the mechanics behind every temptation that we experience in life. Remember Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. It is the same pattern that you see here. Um, now, we're going to do that sermon series, I think, in March or something like that, so I'm not going to un- unfold that whole thing. But temptation follows this pattern in every one of our lives, every one of our lives. That is why the Bible can say that Jesus was tempted in every way as we are. Even though we could say, well, Jesus never had to experience this Or Jesus never experienced that. The reality is every temptation, every sin that draws us in follows this pattern. That everything that we call a sin, everything that we call a temptation, right, falls under the categories that we have right here. So that's why the Bible can say that Jesus experienced temptation and experienced an opportunity to sin just like every other human being that ever lived. That is why this passage is, is linked so much to the remainder of the Bible because something that every single one of us experiences is temptation. We always look at the people who sin and we, and we judge them for that sin and, 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 and all of that. But the reality is every single human being throughout all of, all of uh, creation has been tempted at some point in their lives. In fact, we are tempted every day of our lives. And it's the will, it's, it's, it's the ability, it's the ability to not fall for that temptation that we struggle with all the time. And many of you know what I'm talking about. Temptation is so easy to draw us in. That's why the Bible talks about run from it. Right? That's the best way to get away from it, is just to run from it. And notice two things. We've talked about this the last number of weeks. Notice where lust and deception falls in this. Remember a couple weeks back we talked about lust and deception, that lust and deception, lust is when, when we pervert the barriers that God places in our lives. Notice the barrier here that gets broken. God had told Adam and Eve, don't eat that tree. There's the boundary. That's the only restriction. That's the only demand I'm making on you is don't eat from that tree. That's the the only one. That's the boundary that I'm placing on this beautiful creation. And isn't it wonderful that God, God can lay out this expansive buffet Imagine you go to Mandarin and it's this expansive buffet and they said to you, but this dish you can't eat, there's a 1% arsenic in it. What do you do? And how many of you would wander around it, smell it and kind of go, yeah, I know, I can, I can eat all of this, but you're drawn to that because that's the one you're not supposed to have? Guilty? No? Yeah, absolutely guilty. We would do that. You would watch other people kind of going up to it. 
you know, and saying, oh, yeah, try it, try it. And once you see them try it, you'd be the first one in line to go right after them. They're okay. And yet you would ignore whatever spread out before you because you're drawn to that one thing. Deception perverts the truth. First thing out of the serpent, did God really say? We've all said that. Did God really mean that? Did God really say that? Does the Bible really teach that? Are you sure? Maybe God got it wrong. Maybe God meant it for that time and not for this time. Maybe God didn't really mean it in the same way. Maybe I don't struggle with the same thing that this person in the Bible struggled with, so it's okay for them, but it's not okay for me. Did God really say Listen, the ultimate sin, sin sin at its heart coming out of this passage is when we usurp the authority of God and we place ourselves there. That we say, we are God. We are the people. We are the ones, okay, that are in charge, not God. That we place ourselves in the, in, in, on the throne that belongs to God. That's what it means. And, and often, and listen, oftentimes, we look at other people and we say, they, you know, they do this, so that's a sin. They do that, that that's a sin. The ultimate sin, the sin that really the Bible is talking about, is when we place ourselves in authority above God. That I'm in charge of my life, not God. I'm the one that knows what's best for me, not God. That is, that is when we take God out of the equation and we say that we know better than God. And because we do that, we act in certain ways that, 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 that demonstrate that we think we are the authority and not God. That's where all those other sins come from. But they're propelled out of an, out of an understanding that I'm the one that is the king of my life, not God. Now, what do you think happens God finds out about it, and we'll go to this next passage. This is as far as we're going uh, today. When the cool of evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. They hid. Then the Lord called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked, the Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. It was the woman you gave me. I love it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? She says, the serpent deceived me. She replied, that's why I ate it. Now, after this passage, God actually brings... um, you know, the curses, the judgment. And I, I don't have time to get into that section. But what I want to show you is because of the fall, the effects of the fall are already being felt. It's not the curses that God puts on them. It's not the judgments of God that puts on them that starts the effects of the fall. The effects of the fall are already being felt. Here we have the blame game. Because, listen, Irresponsibility leads to blame. When you're irresponsible, right, you want to cast blame on someone else. 
right? It's, 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 it's a common thing. It happens all the time. I see it all the time. Um, it, and, and, and whenever irresponsibility and you want to point blame, it creates conflict, right? We've all experienced that. We've all seen how irresponsibility creates blame. Blame creates chaos, conflict, trouble, and this blame game that happens, and it's, 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 it's something, isn't it, isn't, it, isn't it really exciting when you have somebody, whether it's at work, whether it's in your family, who stand up and say, I take responsibility for that. I should have known better. I knew I shouldn't have done, you know, I knew I should have taken care of that department. I knew I should have taken care of that budget. I knew I should have taken care of that situation. I knew I should have talked to that person. It's, it's, it's very, very refreshing in our world when somebody takes responsibility for something. How many of us have been in a situation when we've got blamed for something, and if they had stood up and taken the responsibility, the conflict would never have existed? You see, what happens at the fall, what happens because of this is now conflict is part of the world. And if you know anything about, about the rest of the story and what happens in the Bible is that it affects all of creation. This thing that God created, this beautiful thing that God brought about so that he could have a relationship with, with, with humanity is now, and, and, and the thing that he took out of chaos and made something orderly and made something beautiful, now humanity falls and creates this whole cycle of chaos all over again. That's what the Bible teaches. And how many of our lives are, are chaotic because of the conflict that's in it? And we wonder why. And we wonder why. And that's the point I want to make is that what began in this next PowerPoint, what began as a partnership with the creator becomes an environment of conflict that produces chaos. Conflict and chaos is what is a result of the fall. And we've all experienced it, it you know, where we, where we want to usurp the authority of God. We don't want to be accountable to God. We won't want to be responsible to God. We're responsible to, you know, to ourselves is what we say. And to myself be true. And to myself is what I, I want to, if I don't look out for myself, no one's going to look out for me. How many of you have said that? And if I don't take care of myself, no one is going to take care of, of me. You know, and in many ways, you know, you can't, you, you hear the story and you can't blame the person. But what ends up happening is this, the cycle of conflict, the cycle of chaos that keeps happening is, is exactly what happens in the fall. The woman that you gave me, she made me eat. The serpent in the garden who was the shrewdest, he was so smart and here's the deal. The, a lack of personal responsibility will eventually lead to a lack of personal accountability to others and to God. And how many of us have difficulty with our personal responsibility and it ends up becoming a lack of personal accountability and we feel we're not accountable to anybody else and, we, and least of all, we're not accountable to God. How dare you be accountable to God? And, and we do all kinds of things like, God doesn't know my situation. God doesn't know my life. And we repeat the cycle 
that Adam and Eve repeated. Where they were accountable to God and they were responsible to God. But they saw a temptation and they took it and totally ignored what God had said. Listen, if you think, if you want to blame Adam and Eve for all of this, my, my contention is any one of you could have been there, you would have done the exact same thing. That's the point of the text. That's the point of the text. You just can't blame them. You see, creation did not fall. Humanity did. And because humanity did, the rest of the creation suffers. That it became chaotic. You know, we, we use another word for it, and I haven't used the word intentionally, but it's called rebellion. We've all experienced rebellion at some level. But imagine being rebellious just because you don't want to fall in line. I think it's, you know, many of us, and by the way, I don't want to get into, did God set up the thing to fall, you know, did God automatically, you know, the Bible doesn't even go there, okay? So because the Bible doesn't go there, I don't go there. Is that fair to say? Okay, because you're going to speculate, you're going to speculate, you're going to speculate, and what's going to happen is you're going to miss the point of the text. There are so many people that miss the point of the text because they're so busy speculating about why did God do it that way that they miss the point of the text that we're all in this nature where we can be rebellious toward God and think that we know better than him. You see, we may know good and evil now, We may know good and evil now, but the reality is we do not have the capacity as human beings to be able to handle what good and evil bring into our lives because we are human. We are meant in the the capacity that God has given us to be in a relationship with God so he would govern those good and evil things in our lives. But we thought we were better than God and we could handle those situations and handle those circumstances. And because of that, this is where we are today. And there's so much, there are so much that we blame God for in our culture and our society that really is an outworking of who we are as human beings. And I know that's, I know for many of you that's a huge struggle, but that's what the Bible teaches that often we want to blame God. But here's the thing about God. God cares so much about creating us as individuals who can enjoy life to the fullest and the expanse of all of life that he didn't make us robots. That God, you know, Jesus did the same thing. Jesus, you know, he wouldn't force people to follow him. He would give them the truth. He would give them a picture of what their life would look like if they were faithful enough to follow him. And he would walk away, and he, and, and he wouldn't even look behind, but he could hear the footsteps of people walking behind him that said, yeah, Lord, we get this, and we want to follow you because we realize that this is far more important than the path that I'm going down, thinking that I can do it on my own. There is not one of you here this morning who doesn't have a story about attempting to do something on your own and saying, how well did that go? How many of you have ever been in that situation? Had I done it this way? Had I listened to this person? Had I trusted God? How many of you here today can say, I can think of a particular situation where I trusted God 
And look what God did. The nature of rebellion. And here's the, here's the other deal. Here's the other deal. The serpent, Satan is personified in the serpent. We are made in God's image. Satan cannot touch God. But that makes him even more angry at us because we are created in God's image. And every time Satan looks at us, he thinks of the one that he despises the most, and we remind him of God. So who do you think Satan's going to come after if he can't touch God? Us. Okay? And that's, that's the biblical story. That's the ugly chapter 3 of Genesis that generates for the remainder of the Bible this, this salvation history thing that we hear about. And for those of you in, in study, and, and if you're not in a life group, I want to challenge you to read verse 15 of chapter 3. Because in the midst of everything that is happening here, and this is the farthest that we can go today, God implants a promise. And, you know, scholars all over the world have recognized that right in Genesis 3.15 is the first indication, the first promise of a Messiah, of a Savior, of salvation, of being able to pull humanity out from the very situation um, that, that we have found ourselves in. And listen, this is, this is good news, bad news stuff. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the importance of redemption, the importance of what happens later on in the Bible. But we have to wrestle with this this morning, that we are a fallen people. And the things in our lives are broken. We all know that at some level we are broken and that this whole business of needing a relationship with God is ultimately where satisfaction and joy come from. That this perfect paradise that Adam and Eve had is the place that we would long to be. But as human beings, we have a tendency, we have a tendency to rebellion. We have a tendency to want to do it ourselves. And as time has gone, that's become more and more ingrained in us. And it's a difficult place to be. Two last points that I, that I made. And it, it's, it's, it's wonderful to see this story. We, we treat this story and we forget often that God had given Adam and Eve an accountability and a responsibility, did not want to embrace because they thought they could put themselves in the very place of God. And I'll tell you, if you try to put yourself in the place of God, it, it's, it's, it, it's not going to work out very well. It's not going to go well at all, at all. And, and as we close this morning, we've, we've, we've talked about the brokenness of our world. We've talked about the brokenness of creation. We've talked about what's happened at the fall, how it's affected all of us. And, you know, here's, here's the thing. Um, health issues, relational issues, life issues, work issues, school issues, all of that stuff, we live in a broken world. And for many of us, we struggle with that. And my question this morning is, right, 
uh, we live in a culture that, that tells us that we're born good, okay? The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that everyone who is born is born fallen, okay? But we have capacity for great good. See, if you believe that everybody is born good, you have to ask yourself, why is it that there's a capacity for them to do bad? Why is it in the right situation and the right circumstances that they will do some pretty horrible things, okay? The Bible teaches just the opposite, that we are born fallen, that we are born broken, that we are born sinners before God. And here's the deal. Most of us, when we hear that, we look at the person next to us and we say, I'm not as broken as they are. Okay, or I'm not as sinful as they are. If you do that, you miss the point. We're talking about your relationship, your separateness from God. That is the ultimate, that is the ultimate brokenness and fallenness. That if you go and compare yourself to other people, you will always find someone worse than you. And if you do that, you miss the point. Because when you're born, you're born separated from God. We have, yes, we have great capacity for good because we're made in that image of being image bearers of God still resonate within us. But the reality is that before God, we are broken and fallen people. I'm just going to do something very generic. I want to pray for you this morning. Father, as we close out this morning, I want to thank you want to thank you for the story of Adam and Eve. It's raw. We can treat it as a, as a distant reality. But the fact of the matter, Lord, you're teaching us a principle that happens in each and every one of our lives. That we are all broken before you. We know that the Bible teaches that we are accountable to you and that we're responsible to you. But just like Adam and Eve, we desired something for ourselves that really belonged to you. And it caused us, for the remainder of humanity, to live with a pattern in our lives. And Lord, because of that, there are effects to the world around us. There are some here who are struggling with health concerns. Lord, I pray for healing. I pray for strength. I pray for your presence in their lives. For some here today, they're struggling. It may be their marriage. It may be with a prodigal child. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would heal those relationships. That you would come between them and join them together as you've always intended and not allow the brokenness and blame and irresponsibility to take hold. Lord, I pray for those today that just want a little bit of hope. They want a little opportunity to see light, to know that you have them in the very palm of your hand, and you want to take them, Lord, to a place that they never imagined, but you just want them to trust a little longer to trust a little deeper, to ask once again. 
Lord, for each one standing, you know their hearts, you know their lives, you know their needs today. I pray that you would touch them in a very special way. That you would indeed be the God who loves, has compassion, is faithful each and every day and encourage their hearts today. We thank you, Lord, that even though we live in a broken world, we don't have to take that brokenness into our lives all the time. That we can live with a faith in Jesus Christ that would give joy and real hope in spite of the brokenness around us. That the darkness does not have to envelop us. That light indeed has come into the world. So, Lord, we thank you for this morning. We pray that you would bless each one here today as we continue to celebrate your goodness. In Jesus' name.